If you would turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. When you uh, study the Word of God, you see often how um, God has worked out His plan. Uh, it says in Ephesians chapter 1, He works all things according to the counsel of His will. God is working out His will and His plan in our world today and uh, has in the past and uh, the things that the Lord has done in the past, even through the, like the nation of Israel, are recorded accurately in the Word of God. We're so thankful that we have the Word of God. And by the way, I'm, something just encourages me to say this right now at this point. Uh, don't neglect your Bibles. Okay, There are a lot of people who they're saved, they're going to heaven, but don't get the spiritual food that they really need from the Word of God. So be sure during the week... Uh, you are uh, looking into the Word of God, and that's part of God's plan for our lives. In fact, I love that verse, which is a favorite, and some people have posted on their refrigerators. Uh, Jeremiah 29:11, the Lord said, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And uh, I've heard people say, well, you know, that the primary meaning of that verse is for the nation of Israel. Well, it sure it is. But there's application to us of how the Lord is looking after us. And he has plans for us. And you can find a number of New Testament verses that verify the fact that that's a good way to apply Jeremiah 29, 11. And uh, most of you, or many of you, are familiar with uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But we are his workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus for good works. And there are good works that the Lord wants us to accomplish. And we'll see this as we see the uh, example of Jesus Christ being the servant of the Lord. Now, uh, just a quick review on Philippians. Um, I've given the theme of it. I've stated it out this way. The theme of Philippians is the unity and joy of having the mind of Christ. And this is what the apostle Paul wanted to see in the church at Philippi. He wanted them to be united together in, in understanding the person of Christ and the, the spiritual teaching that they had already received. And he wanted them also to experience the joy of the Lord. And he didn't want them um, being overburdened about the fact that he, the apostle who wrote this letter that we have this morning, was in prison because of his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He actually writes the letter uh, to encourage the spiritual growth of the believers in Philippi and to warn them of false teaching and to tell them that God's in control even in his circumstances. He wrote this letter that we have, we're looking at right now in prison. He was in prison. At times he was chained to Romans guards, Roman guards. But he said this, he said... Um, 117, he said, I want you to know, brethren, that the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. And uh, every time a Roman soldier was chained to the Apostle Paul, and remember, he was in prison for giving out the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, he, he probably, from what we understand from Scripture, led many of these Roman soldiers to faith in Jesus Christ. I don't know if when they saw Paul, they said, what are you in here for? I don't know if they did it that way, but he sure told them why he was in prison and uh, God was using him there. 
I, I do truly believe that 2.5 is the key to the whole chapter, the whole book. And uh, yet there are other key verses. I've checked some others along the way. And there are those who feel that um, 121 uh, would be, I'm going to call it another key verse, where Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so he's talking about a win-win situa- situation. While I'm living, Christ is my Lord and Savior. When I die, I go to be with him. And so as believers, you see, we're in a win-win situation. He promises to go with us in this life, and he promises to be with us, uh, or that we will be with him, rather, in the life to come. And so in each chapter, you see how he focuses on the person of Christ. Chapter 1, for me to live is Christ. Paul sees Christ as his life. Christ is involved in everything in his life. Chapter 2, Christ is the model of true humility and servanthood. 2.5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Chapter 3, Christ is the one who will transform our bodies that they may be conformed to the image of his body. And that will take place when we're in glory. Chapter 3 and chapter 4, Jesus Christ is the source of the believer's power over circumstances. And you know... When you're thinking about difficult things that the Lord's called you to do, and we all find that every once in a while we face something and we say, Wow, Lord, I really need you to come through for me, with me, to accomplish this, whatever it is. And then you want to keep in mind 4.13, where the Apostle Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So anything in the plan of God's will for your life, he's going to be there, and he will give you the enablement. Uh, to do his will. Uh, I truly believe that the incarnation of Christ is really the central miracle of Christianity. Um, 2, 5 through 11 is a section of scripture that is very beautiful. Uh, We're hardly going to have time to do justice to explaining it and looking at it, but um, 2, 5 through 11 describes the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the one who left the glories of heaven and came down here to earth uh, to live a sinless life before man and then to suffer and die on the cross. And we will be coming to the communion table in just a few minutes and we will be remembering in a very special way the Savior's coming for us. (laughs) These verses have been called a theological diamond because they sparkle showing to us the beauty of Jesus Christ, who, verse 6, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And, of course, the point here is he didn't think of his deity as something he had to hold on to when he came down to earth. He was God. He always will be God. And that's what that verse means, by the way. Uh, Verse 6, we'll be looking at it again just briefly. The Apostle Paul, however, is writing this and giving us this beautiful description of the coming of the Savior in order that we might see that he is our example in all areas of life. And so the Apostle Paul describes the Lord's glorious life both before and after his humiliation by leaving the, the, the joys and the glory of heaven and being with the Father in heaven and coming down here to the earth to suffer and to die for us. There's three um, movements in this section. Um, two, six. If you let your eyes glance at the scripture, 
In 2.6 it talks about the Son of God before coming down to the earth. In 7 and 8 it talks about his selfless humility on earth. And in verses 9 through 11 what Christ was like after he ascended back into heaven. So the title of our message this morning is really the Lord Jesus Christ, the servant of the Father. And, and you can't miss, you cannot miss that this is the exhortation that's coming out of the book of Philippians. And remember we talked about the fact that God wants us to be joyful and encouraged? Well, we're encouraged when we're doing what we know God wants us to do. Remember the Lord Jesus said, even just before the cross, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but not as I will. And wait a minute, that's Jesus Christ, God the Son. And he said, not as I will, but Lord, you're, or to the Father in heaven, your will be done. And, and that's, that's how we experience joy in our lives. Uh, every day we wake up, we can be saying, Lord, whatever you want me to do this day, I need to walk with you through the day. And I desire to do your will in my life. That's one of the sources, major sources of joy. Now we'll look again at verse 6 where it says, Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Well, why is that true? Because he was God. Always has been, always will be. Some uh, translations read this way. Who being in the form of God, verse 6 again, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped. In other words, when he came here to the earth, he wasn't holding on to the fact that he was God. He knew he was God. He functioned purposely as the servant of the Lord and the Father in heaven. This is just a clear statement that the Lord Jesus Christ is God the Son. He's deity. And you say, wow, yeah, I know that. The amazing thing is there's a lot of teaching out in society today. There are a lot of religious groups who do not believe that Jesus Christ is God the Son. And I've had people ask me the question, can somebody go to heaven if they don't believe that Jesus is God the Son? No. No. Jesus said himself in John's Gospel, if you believe not that I am, and some translations say I am he, but Jesus claimed to be the I am. If you believe not that I am the promised one of the Old Testament scriptures, this next phrase is, it's hard. You will die in your sins. And so Jesus wanted people to believe on him, to believe that he came as God the Son. John, in his gospel, made it very clear. He opens it this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then you drop down to verse 14 and it says, And the Word became flesh. So here you have the Son of God leaving heaven, as this passage tells us, and coming to earth in order to give his life for you and me. 1 Timothy 3.16 is another passage where it says, God manifest in the flesh is Jesus Christ. He's God manifest in the flesh. And you will remember that Jesus said to the disciples, and this is this is so clear in Scripture. He that has seen me has seen the Father. If you saw Jesus Christ, God the Son, actually in, in essence you've seen God, God the Father because they're one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're one. They're deity. And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. So interesting. It really is. Uh, the Lord Jesus also said this one, and I want you to think about this verse. You don't have to look it up. 
But it's in John chapter 8 where Jesus said to those who didn't believe that he was God the Son, he said, before Abraham was, I am. Wow. Before Abraham was even born, Jesus Christ as the I am existed in eternity past. How awesome is this? Not only did he verify the fact that he was deity through before Abraham was, but he actually, and by the way, those who rejected Christ rejected him willfully, willfully. He said, before Abraham was, I am. And of course it was the I am who appeared to Moses. Uh, the Lord said to Moses, Moses, I'm going to uh, use you. I want you to go to Pharaoh. I'm going to deliver my people, and I want you to go uh, and uh, speak to Pharaoh and say to him, let my people go. And Moses said, wow, who shall I say sent me? And he said, I am. I am. Jesus Christ is claiming to be the one who appeared to Moses in the Old Testament. Uh, he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Verse 6 again, a different translation. There are various translations that bring out the wording here. He did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Well, because he was God. In a robbery, someone takes something that doesn't belong to them uh, unlawfully. But Jesus Christ, you see, he is God the Son. And you, you probably might be saying at this point, I already know that. But we need to have that so ingrained in our minds and our thinking. Uh, that we're able to communicate this to others. I remember at the Texas State Fair, um, it's either last year or the year before, and, you know, people walk by. We have a large map, Bible map up there, God's plan for the ages, and a guy walks by, and you, you never know what you're going to hear. You never had a guy this past week say he believes the earth is flat. I said, well, what about the pictures from outer space? Oh, they're, they're doctored. He's doctored, or he needs to see a doctor. God has revealed himself very clearly in the word of God. The Lord Jesus said this, I and my Father are one. He who has seen me has seen the Father. Why do we, why don't we keep repeating this? Because that's who Jesus Christ is. He's your Lord and Savior, my Lord and Savior, and he's God the Son. And in this passage we see the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. Next verse, verse 7 says, but made himself of no reputation, taking upon himself the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men. Now, this, this passage, as I mentioned earlier, rather, is vitally important to have a handle on. If you want to get encouraged, you want to get encouraged about your relationship to the Lord, go to Philippians 2. Because this one who left the glories of heaven left the Father in heaven and came down here and suffered and died, did it for you and for me. So awesome to understand. And the text says this, by the way, verse 7, it says, but made himself of no reputation. Now that's the uh, New King James Version. However, um, some translations translate it this way. Um, he emptied himself. Well, what did he empty himself of? And by the, word, by the way, the word, the Greek word there is kenosis in the noun form. Um, he emptied himself. What did he empty himself of? Not his deity. He was God, always will be God. 
But he, and, and this, is, this is the way we need to say it, okay? He laid aside the independent use of his divine attributes. He laid aside, yes, he was God, but he was also the God-man. And so there were days Jesus became thirsty. He became hungry. He served others, as we'll be talking about. He's God the Son. He emptied himself. But again, keep this in mind, please. Not his deity. This is what we call the kenosis passage of Scripture. Coming from that sentence there where it says, he made himself of no reputation. He never, ever laid aside his deity. But the independent use of his attributes, he laid these aside. Keep in mind now that... um, the Apostle Paul was pleading for the Philippian believers to have a lowliness of mind and humility of spirit with one another in the body of Christ. In his descent to the earth, our sovereign Lord became a servant. Now, uh, when you hear this, that Christ became a servant, um, you should kind of think through in what ways was he a servant? Well, he was a servant because he was serving the Father in heaven. And I like to think of this one first. Isaiah 52, verse 13 says, Behold my servant, the Father says. So Jesus was first and foremost the servant of the Father in heaven. He came to do his will. But also, Jesus Christ came to serve us. That's something we really need to think about. He left heaven to come here and die to pay for my sins, to pay for your sins. And that he might be an example for us. You remember Jesus said to the Father, he said, Lord, I have come to do your will, O God. We are to have the mind of Christ. So every day that we wake up and have a new day, a new blessing, we should say, Lord, I want to do your will. Not my will, but your will. I want your will in my life. Lead me, guide me, direct me. Servant, servant of the Father. And yes, servant of those who trust him. And he has served us all very, very well. I found this this past week on the internet. And uh, I'm just going to read a part of this, but it's beautiful how it's stated. It's stated in relationship to what Jesus Christ does for you and me. Uh, he, He begins this last section and he says, Christ's goal is a relationship with me. That's it. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. He will never mislead me. He will never forget me. He will never overcome me. And he will never cancel my appointment in his appointment book. I like that. And then, then he goes on. Again, Christ, the servant of the Father in heaven. But yes, he came to serve us as well. He's the servant of God. And he ministers to us. He cares about us. When we leave this time of worship, he's watching over us. He's there for us. Well, let's see how this uh, writer put it. When I fall, Christ lifts me up. When I fail, he forgives me. When I am weak, he is strong. When I am lost, he is the way. When I'm afraid, he's my courage. When I stumble, he steadies me. When I am hurt, he heals me. When I am broken, he mends me. When I am blind, he leads me. When I am hungry, he feeds me. When I face trials, he is with me. When I face persecution, he shields me. When I face problems, he comforts me. When I face loss, he provides for me. And when I face death, 
he will carry me home. Wow, what a Savior we have. How awesome is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting to understand, um, again, the fact that Jesus was not only obedient to the Father in the area of the life he lived before the Father, but he was obedient even to the point of death, death on the cross. Some have called this the most painful of all forms of death. Uh, we in our country, when someone has to um, experience capital punishment, will do everything we can, or they do everything they can, to make the person comfortable until they die. Well, Jesus certainly wasn't comfortable when he hung on the cross for you and me. He suffered, and he did it willingly. He did it willingly. And you've heard people say, Listen, let me get you thinking about this. You've heard people say, if you were the only one, he would have died for you. I think that's true because of his great love. And he, he knew before we were ever born that we would need him. He worked in our lives and the plans of our lives to bring us to the place where we trusted Jesus as our Savior. So again, we need to be highly encouraged knowing that Christ left the glories of heaven for each of us. Now, in light of the fact that that's the truth of Christ in the um, passage, Philippians 2, I want to just bring it down to us as believers, those he wants to be, wants us to be servants, I'm sorry. He wants us to be servants. There's a book written by Warren Wiersbe, and I believe it's out of print, and it's called Ten Powerful Principles for Christian Service. In other words, there are ten specific principles in Scripture that guide us when we want to serve the Lord. Uh, Would you like to teach a a Bible class? Would you like to teach Sunday school? Would you like to work in some area for Christ? Well, there are some principles in the Word of God that will really guide us. And I'm not going to read all the principles. I just want to say a couple things before we come to the table. This is what Mr. Wearsby said. Don't miss this now. It is a mystery to me how many people can read and study the four Gospels and still miss the glorious truth that Jesus Christ is the servant of the Father in heaven. Wow. And he came to serve us. Remember when we read about all all those things that he does for us? How awesome is our Savior. Jesus himself said, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom. He wants us to be servants as well. And I would like to look at another passage of Scripture just briefly. It's Luke chapter 22. Notice the words of the Lord here to the disciples. He wanted them to understand that he had chosen them. He had a plan for them uh, to be used for the glory of the Father in heaven. It's Luke 22, verses 24 to 27. I'm just going to read it. We need this in our thinking. 22, 24. Now there was a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. Oh boy, here we go. Are they going to be functioning as servants? Which of us is, you know, here's the disciples. Which of us is really going to be sitting right next to Jesus in heaven? So Jesus speaks and he says to them, verse 25, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise lordship over them are called benefactors. But not so among you. On the contrary, he who is the greatest among you, let him be the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? It is not he who sits at the table, 
Jesus said, Yet I am among you as one who serves. You see, he's teaching the disciples that they need to follow him and uh, be servants with one another in the family of God. Spiritual leadership. Much in the word of God with regards to leadership. In fact, uh, you could probably find hundreds of books on leadership. But, you know, there's no book like the, the word of God in any area, actually. But there's no book like the word of God that talks about leadership. And Jesus is the one who said, when you're thinking about leadership, think about, put the two words together, servant leadership. What a privilege we have to serve the Father in heaven. I'm going to mention two principles and we'll prepare ourselves for the communion table. Spiritual leadership is moving people onto God's agenda. Now that's Henry Blackaby's title. But you know, he thought about this a long time. He thought about the subject of um, leadership. And, and he and his son began to write on it. And he said, you know, as I look at all the exhortations in the Word of God with regards to leadership, I see that leadership is actually moving people onto God's agenda. So again, please don't miss this. God wants to use you and me in the lives of others to move them over to where God wants them to be. And many of these people who need to move over to where God wants them to be, they don't know Jesus yet. And it's amazing how the Lord can speak to your heart and my hearts, your hearts and my heart, and, and burden us for somebody who does not yet know Christ as Savior. And if they don't know Christ as Savior, they need to get over here on God's agenda. How thankful we are that somebody told us about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the next one Spiritual leaders must depend upon the Holy Spirit. In other words, anything we do for the Lord, we must have the Spirit's guidance and enablement. Whether it's teaching a class, whether it's singing for the Lord, whether it's witnessing to someone else, we need the Holy Spirit's enablement. You see, here's the principle. And, and I've had people say, yeah, I never thought of it that way, but here's how it goes. God calls us to do what only he can do. It's a paradox. God calls us to do only what he can do. In other words, the idea is, again, God wants to use you and me in the lives of some others to get them over to God's agenda, to get them over where God wants them to be. Please keep that in mind. God wants to use us to move people over to be where he wants them to be. Now, you say, well, you just said um, there's certain things that only God can do. By the way, we can't save anybody, right? right. We can give the witness, but God's got to do the saving. And what really encourages you, don't miss this. What really encourages you is if you're burdened for someone, and maybe you give them a gospel track. Don't use this term much anymore these days. doesn't, doesn't have to have a horse on the front like mine. But um, you give them a track, and, what, and the track says this. Has anyone ever taken a Bible and shown you how you can know for sure that you're going to heaven? And many people will not answer um, yes to that question. Now, to get us to the Lord's table, I want you to think this way with me. This is really important. The passage encourages us to be the servants for the Lord's sake. 
And he wants us as servants of the Lord to be able to express to others the fact that they can experience the forgiveness that we have experienced. Forgiveness. That's what we're going to think about when we come to the table in just a few minutes. Ephesians 4.32 says, Forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Forgiving one another. Don't miss this now. In this past week in Dallas, there was one of the greatest examples of forgiveness that's ever been seen in public. One of, I didn't say it was the. And it was in the courtroom where Amber Geiger was being tried. Uh, let me just check you out on this. How many of you saw the, uh, the interview on TV? Okay, that'd be about 10%, 15 Okay. Of course, Amber Geiger is the woman who was a police officer, went, was going home. She went to the wrong floor, opened the door, or knocked on the door, or opened the door of um, a room that was not her room, was not her apartment. And she shot the man, and he died. Now, in the courtroom, the man who died had a brother. And that brother in the courtroom stood up and said, he said, um, can I give her a hug? Wow. But the judge said, yes, you may give her a hug. And she went over to him and he hugged her. Both of them are crying. And then he said, I hope you will receive the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ who went to the cross for you. He said to her, I forgive you for what you did to my brother. I forgive you. And then what was also beautiful about this account is the judge, whose name is Tammy Kemp, walked over and gave Amber her Bible that she kept in her office behind the courtroom. She leaned over and opened it to John 3.16 and said to Amber, You know, for God so loved the world, he gave his son. And it's my prayer that you also will receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. And that went all over the world. All over the world. And of course you can imagine that she was criticized for doing that. You know, every once in a while I hear think that a Christian's criticized for doing something. I'm not going to tell you what I think. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to do it. Um, but here's the Dallas Morning News. And it says, was the judge right to offer a Bible? And you know what I say? Absolutely right. Absolutely right. By the way, most of the, all the court proceedings were done before that. But, of course, there's bound to be people who didn't feel it was the right thing to do. But that judge had compassion on this woman who committed a crime. But that judge knew that she needed the forgiveness, not just of the court, but of God through Jesus Christ. What an example of forgiveness which we have as we come to the table. We thank the Lord for the forgiveness that he has given to us through Christ.
You know, sometimes when I'm walking down the table, I say, Lord, I thank you for what you've done for me. And help us all to have that thankfulness in our hearts for the fact that you forgive our sins. And uh, we who know Christ, we are so thankful that we can come to the table together.